The New York Jets are now on the board. Okay, Jet fans, Darrell Revis. Being in New York has been one of the greatest blessings. Zach Smith Avenue, brand that one right now. The New York Jets flag. Welcome to the final episode of NFL Draft Preview. I guess I should say NFL Draft Review because the 2022 NFL Draft is behind us. Dane Brugler almost is at the end of the tunnel. He sees the light of summer, sunshine, maybe a nice little barbecue in a couple minutes here, maybe a couple days. You know, how soon are we talking here for you? Like, I know there's a couple things you got to take care of, but how quickly can you put it behind you and just enjoy, you know, what life should be like? Well, I got, I got home from Vegas last night, um, actually, um, a late Monday night. And, uh, of course, my, my nine-month-old daughter was up waiting for me. Um, so, you know, that, that was – and she was very excited to see me. So, of course, that was a couple hours before she went back to sleep. Um, so, it, it's already started. Uh, but, no, you know, towards the end of this week, I'll start to really wind down, uh, take a breather, uh, and take a little bit of time just to enjoy – Enjoy T-ball and mowing my lawn and just uh, doing some regular things for a little bit here. Uh, yeah, well, we're almost there. Obviously, we're going to have to talk about the Shets draft. Your favorite draft among all 32 NFL teams. You don't do grades. You do power rankings. Your favorite one was the New York Jets. Why is that? Yeah, and I, I wouldn't even say, you know, this isn't like the best. I'm not ranking one through 32 of the best draft classes. These are just my favorite. Uh, you know, I, I'm not using some analytical formula here or, you know, I'm just from my gut uh, going over. I, I laid out each draft class and went through it all and, and just I, I ranked, OK, which one of these draft classes did I just love what they did? And obviously the teams that had multiple first round picks or multiple early picks, clear advantage because they're getting more players, better players. Uh, and, and of course, with the Jets having three first round picks, uh, that, that certainly swayed uh, me in their favor. But. Uh, you know, I, I love Sauce Gardner, the top corner this year. Uh, Garrett Wilson, my top receiver. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, uh, a player we talked about, uh, you know, ad nauseum, just as a, a guy this Jets team really liked. And I think probably paying them the pass at number 10, uh, but be able to come back into the first round at 26 and still get him. Um, I, I mean, that's that that's huge. And then uh, not only that, but then picking up Reese Hall in the second. Jermaine Ru or Jeremy Rucker, who we talked about, a lot throughout the process as being a perfect jet. So from top to bottom, and then what they did uh, in the fourth round, top to bottom, I just love what the Jets did. I think, you know, only seven picks. I think they nailed each one. All right. Well, let's just go pick by pick here. Pick number four, Ahmad Sauce Gardner. He was a guy that when you did your mock drafts originally, you had him to the Jets, and then you're like, you know, I, I don't know if I see Joe Douglas and Robert Sala going in this direction that early, given their history. They go in that direction. One, were you surprised? And two, what makes Sauce Gardner worthy of the fourth overall pick? And what what should Jets fans be expecting from a pretty early stage from him? Yeah, see, and this is where we can kind of get ourselves into trouble when we, you know, look at uh, past what teams have done in the past and what has worked for them. Uh, and so we kind of attach ourselves to that when we project in a mock draft and say, okay, well, you know, Robert Sala, look at the cornerback position who he's won with. Uh, I mean, hasn't necessarily had to go that direction in the first round. So, you know, there's a good bet. Maybe they don't they don't go that route. Um, but, I mean, there's no arguing with Sauce Gardner uh, being one of the best players on the board when they were selecting there at four. Uh, tall, stretched out athlete, big time uh, speed uh, for that, especially for that size. I love the length. Uh, a guy that wasn't thrown at very, very much. He still had three interceptions each of the last three years. So 
with Sauce Gardner, the, the confidence that he's going to bring to that wide receiver room, he's going to get on the field immediately, as you would expect for the fourth overall pick. So even though I, I think we looked at kind of the tea leaves and thought, eh, they probably won't go with a wide receiver here just based on their history, uh, pleasantly surprised because I think Sauce Gardner, uh, one of the best uh, defensive players in this draft, could end up being the best defensive player from this draft. When are you going to get a chain like the the, the bottle of sauce that he had? You, so that, you that was mine. Year, maybe? He, no, he, he borrowed mine. So <laughs> I, I I told him I could lend it out. Just I need collateral, you know, a little deposit, you know. So, but I, I I trust him. Yeah. And, and what what sauce would you put in there? Because I don't know if you know this, the top actually pops off. You can put stuff in it if you wanted to. Not Ooh. that you'd want to mess like jewelry and and sauce. That sounds kind of weird to me but like if you had the choice what are you putting in there just so you have it at all times maybe you want it on a sandwich maybe you want it in whatever situation you need well i mean uh, as a dad of four i mean there's a lot of applesauce in our house and so i'm constantly <laughs> having to you know try to calm these babies down and so having applesauce at my disposal at any given moment that i could just you know spoon in the mouth you know kind of calm them down get them quiet that, that makes sense to me i, I like that idea <laughs> yeah, I think I just might have given you an idea. Maybe not, you know, as expensive as that one, but, you know, something yeah. to keep in mind. Maybe something to put around your neck. Anyway, just before we move on to Garrett Wilson, what are your thoughts on this Jets cornerbacks room now that last year we're talking about Bryce Hall and Brandon Eccles as the starters at the end of the season? Now you, you add in DJ Reed in free agency, you add in Sauce Gardner. What kind of facelift do you think the Jets cornerbacks room got? Uh, certainly they got better. There's no doubt about it. And, and it'll be interesting to see how they, uh, you know, utilize each one of these corners and their skill sets. I mean, Sauce Gardner is a true outside corner. Uh, but, you know, with, you know, with a guy like DJ Reed, is he going to be playing primarily inside in the slot? How are they going to use him? And, and then uh, the competition at the other positions. I mean, th this is you, – you, it's not about necessarily replacing players as it is upgrading and creating competition. That's what you want to do, especially at a premium position like corner. Uh, and they certainly did that this offseason with Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, a lot more competition at that corner spot. And the guy's already on the roster. It's not a, uh, you know, a, a ticket out of town, but it is kind of a, a heads up that, hey, you better bring your A game, a game to camp because uh, you've got some competition now. And, you know, it's, it's not going to be a, necessarily a, a cakewalk to be a starter or even make the roster. All right, moving on to pick number 10, Garrett Wilson, your top receiver. You've been on that since day one. So with Garrett Wilson, we know about the body control. We know about the speed. We know about the vertical threat. When you factor what he brings to the Jets, what do you make of that room now that's Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios, and Garrett Wilson? And what should Jets fans be most excited about in terms of Garrett Wilson's strengths? Yeah, and with Garrett Wilson, and my comparison for him has been C.D. Lamb, and I think similar to C.D. Lamb, he could play anywhere on that offensive uh, on the offensive formation. You want to play inside, outside, uh, X, Y, Z. Uh, you know, you can motion him all over, it, backfield. You, you don't have to uh, pigeonhole him as he's an X only or uh, a Y only, Z only. He can do everything up and down the formation, and that gives you flexibility. Uh, you know, across your wide receiver room. And so that's that, that's key with a guy like Garrett Wilson. And, and again, not, not the biggest guy. And that's maybe the biggest knock against him. He's under six foot. He's under 190 pounds. And so the size isn't necessarily uh, going to blow you away. But the strengths of what he brings to the field, 
with the speed, the body control, the ball skills. He just makes the playbook come alive. He really does. That has been my line with him throughout the process uh, because he can get open before the catch and give his quarterback a clear window. He can get after, get open after the catch and, and really be a creator uh, with the ball in his hand. So uh, with a guy like Wilson, he, he's just uh, he's an igniter uh, with, uh, with your offense. And let's be honest, uh, what this team has done to uh, you know surround the quarterback position with all the talent, now it's up to the quarterback. And Garrett Wilson's part of that. It's, it's okay, Zach Wilson, you know, this is year two. What are you going to do to take that next step in your development? We just gave you this shiny new toy to play with, and he's going to help make you better. Now it's up to you to go make things happen. I love it. What you just said has to be music to Jets fans' ears. And something that I, I'm curious, your take on it. This class, I think, before the draft, I mean, I guess you can consider it now too, but when you look at the class, you're like, maybe there's no blue chip talent, you know, and there's clearly a lot of depth. But when you talk about a top 10 wide receiver like Garrett Wilson, CeeDee Lamb wasn't selected in the top 10, but that's that's as a player, you say they're similar as prospects, just the wide receiver classes as holes, like, is it, I don't want to like pour salt and say like, you know, this receiver class isn't like quite to the level of that one, but how do you, how do you view both of those classes? Because a lot of these receivers like Garrett Wilson were very productive and they seem to be that they're on the track to be very good pros. Well, I mean, we just have to look at the run that happened. Well, we had four uh, or five receivers taken in a, or four in the five uh, pick span. I mean, it was just crazy. Uh, the way things happened, the way things played out um, uh, with the run on those guys. And we knew that was going to happen. It was just, when was it going to start? We thought maybe Atlanta at eight could be the the most logical spot for one of these receivers to go. And, and then if you're the Jets, uh, you knew if you wanted one of these these stud receivers, and we, we, we saw all six going to the top 20 uh, and then none, no other receivers because we thought maybe there'd be a second run later in the first round uh, or early in the second and we just didn't really see that. Uh, teams waited after that first uh, initial tier. But you look at what the Saints gave up to go get Chris Olave. Uh, I mean, you look what the Lions gave up to go get Jamison Williams. Uh, I mean, each one of those teams made big, expensive moves to go get that receiver. So the Jets sitting there at 10, they didn't have to move. I know it probably pained them to pass on the pass rusher there um, or some of these other players that might have been available but Garrett Wilson was the no-brainer. I think the way – and we've, we've talked about it since January. I mean, the way he could fit this offense, the way he's going to help immediately, uh, just uh, he was the best of a really top-heavy, impressive wide receiver group. And obviously the Jets are very excited about the Wilson to Wilson connection. And we'll talk about the names in a minute here, specifically when we get to Brees Hall, because there are a lot of similar names now on the New York Jets. But before we get there, the Jets – had picks 35 and 38. They move up nine spots. Similar to last year, they moved up nine spots as well from 23 to 14 to select Elijah Vera Tucker. They go from 35 to 26. Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State. How surprised were you that he was still available at pick number 26? Oh, extremely. I mean, pass rushers don't last very long in the NFL draft, and he's the exception. I mean, we heard after the draft – uh, the Jets got three of their top eight players, uh, including Jermaine Johnson, uh, which tells you, and, and we talked about it before the draft. We knew how much they liked Jermaine Johnson, uh, but to, for him to fall as far as he did, and you have to wonder, when did uh, Joe Douglas start making those calls, uh, you know, trying to get up back into the first round? Well, Jermaine Johnson passed, you know, 15, 17, 
20. Uh, I mean, you could bet he was keeping an eye on that. Uh, you don't, you don't want to give up draft picks to, uh, especially when you already had two first rounders. Uh, you know, th- this is a team that's still building and, you know, you don't want to trade away, uh, you know, high draft capital. But if you have a chance to go get one of your guys that you ranked very high in this draft, this is why you pour all the resources into scouting is to build the board and trust it. And at a certain point, it just became it became too much. We can't let him fall anymore. Go get Jermaine Johnson. This is a guy that's going to come in, play the run. He's going to get after the quarterback. Um, I you know I don't know that he's ever going to be a perennial Pro Bowler per se, but he is going to be an above average pro for a long time, in my opinion. So I don't know if you know this or if you heard this. Joe Douglas said that pick 15 came around. He called every single team until he executed a deal at 26. Talk about commitment to a player. The Jets showed it right there, trading up for Jermaine Johnson, trying to get him from pick 15 and then ended up at pick 26. So with that being said, what is it about Jermaine Johnson's skill set that you think fits what Robert Sala, Jeff Albrick and company want to run up front? He's long. He's athletic. He can stand up. He can put his hand on the ground. Uh, could play inside or outside the offensive tackle. Could play head up over the tackle. Uh, you know, he's not a uh, his get off is okay. It's not really what makes him so dangerous as a pass rusher. Um, but I think his length and a point of attack skills uh, really are, are what sets him apart. That and then his instincts. I mean, he is so quick to read the backfield action. So you know, it's I've mentioned this before. But a lot of my favorite plays from Jermaine Johnson this year came versus the run because his recognition was so impressive uh, of understanding the blocking scheme and the play and what was going what the offense is trying to do. He sniffed it out immediately, put himself in a position to make plays. Um, and, and then, you know, you also appreciate a guy that just bet on himself. You know, he was kind of part of a rotation at that, you know, in that Georgia defense and transfers to Florida State. It's a big gamble. Uh, you know, at least if he stayed at Georgia, I mean, he has a built-in excuse why his production wasn't better. Is hey, I had to share time, but when I was out there, I was, I was pretty good. He goes to Florida State knowing his snap count was going to maybe double, and he was up for the challenge. Led the ACC in tackles for loss. Led the ACC in sacks. You love a guy that has that type of football character, that believes in himself, and bets on himself. So Jermaine Johnson, I, I think a lot of teams in the top 25 made a mistake by letting him fall that far. And why do you think that he did fall that far? Like, was there any post-draft chatter that maybe you're like, uh, okay, like, I'll give you an example. N'Kobe Dean gets selected. People were like, oh, there's a medical that popped up that yeah. maybe isn't what teams want to see. doesn't feel like that was the case with Jermaine Johnson. feels like it was almost kind of a mystery. Uh, very much so. Um, I, I think that because he's not that, again, not that elite get-off, uh, you know, type of guy, the, the burst is not why you love him. Uh, he can be a little segmented at times with his pass rush. So he's not, uh, you know, that type of pass rusher. I mean, he he ha- he can win, but it's with length. Um, it's with, uh, you know, a, a very technical approach where, you know, he's going to use swipe moves and rip moves. And uh, so I, I think maybe that was something that turned off some teams. But still, uh, very, very surprised that a lot of teams, especially you look at, uh, the, the, the chiefs, um, I mean, there's several teams in that early second round range. And even a team like the Cowboys passing on a guy like Jermaine Johnson was a big surprise. All right. So just when you thought the jets 
you know, maybe they'll trade back in the second round because they traded up to get Jermaine Johnson. Maybe they want to recoup some of those picks. That's not the case. They move up two spots. They execute a trade with the New York Giants. They take Brees Hall, the running back of Iowa State. We didn't talk a whole lot about running backs in the pre-draft process. So what is it about Brees Hall that makes him, in your eyes, a viable option to be the first running back called on draft night? Yeah, it, personally, I liked Kenneth Walker a little bit better, but I, you know, it's hard to argue with Brees Hall. I mean, it's hard, it's just hard to poke holes in him as a player. Uh, I mean, everything that you see with Brees Hall, you like. Uh, 41 touchdowns uh, the, over the last two years, 41 uh, rushing touchdowns the last two years, set an FBS record with 24 straight games with at least one rushing touchdown. It, the guy just finds the end zone, um, and you see the way he tested. I don't know that he necessarily plays – as explosive and dynamic as as the the numbers will you know at the combine show, but he's not a slug out there. I mean, he is uh, to me the most impressive thing with Brees Hall: the patience, the instincts, the decision making. We talk so much about decision making with quarterbacks, not enough with the running backs. Brees Hall understands understands the blocking scheme. He's patient. He's disciplined, and he it maximizes every single run. And that's what you love about him as a running back. That and you know what he brings on on passing downs as a pass catcher, um, as a guy that can get better in pass protection, but I think at least has a base that you can work off of. So when you said earlier that Garrett Wilson makes the playbook come alive, when you factor in the Jets offensive line additions like Lake and Tomlinson moving Elijah Vera Tucker to the right side, hoping that Makai Becton comes back to the 2020 former on that track where he showed that he could be a very good tackle in this league, particularly in the run game. When you factor that in, you factor in what the Jets have in Michael Carter and the way that he came on. You add Brees Hall to the equation. What does he bring to that room or what can he do to that room that you think might take them to the next level? Well, it's kind of like the Garrett Wilson conversation where Wilson can do everything. Uh, you know, it doesn't, you can line him up anywhere you want uh, in the formation and he's going to be able to make a play. Brees saw the same thing. It doesn't matter the, the situation, third down, first down, um, wherever you want him to play, he can do that. And so I think we, especially when you look at the scheme, he, he it was primarily a zone scheme at Iowa State. And, you know, looking at uh, the, the Jets' zone-based offense, I think it's a perfect fit for – this scheme uh, in particular, and even though I don't think running back was necessarily at the top of uh, you know where we thought the Jets were going, it's hard to uh, you know again when you want to surround your quarterback with good talent, it's hard to disagree with what an addition like this uh, you know what, what it would do for for your quarterback, what it does for your passing game. Uh, it's hard to disagree with uh, you know making a pick like this. Uh, even though I know some will say it's too early for a running back. And uh, when you have a chance to get the top running back in the draft on your board, uh, I certainly understand why they went that direction. I think there's definitely, I know that you did not have Brees Hall as the number one running back, but is there a case to be had that the Jets drafted the top corner receiver and running back in the draft? Oh, no doubt. I mean, it's it, there was not a big gap between these two players for me, um, even though I did give Kenneth Walker a little bit of the edge. But, I mean, Brees Hall, again, it's kind of like Jermaine Johnson, too, uh, where, I mean, point me in the direction of the, the, the big negatives on Jermaine Johnson. Kind of the same thing with Brees Hall. Point me in the direction of the you know the, the poking holes in him. Where, where are we nitpicking with Brees Hall? He's just not a, a guy that has a ton of, you know, you have to kind of search 
for for negatives on him. Uh, so I mean, there, there's a lot to like about what he's going to bring to the room, uh, what he's going to bring to the field. Uh, I, I, another guy we talked about it with Sauce Gardner, competition and what that does for everybody in the room. Brees Hall, he's bringing a lot of competition to that running back room. All right, then the Jets end day two with pick number one on one. Still on offense, tight end Jeremy Ruckert. Now, we talked a lot about Ruckert, his prowess as a run blocker, but what do you think about the situation he now walks into behind guys like C.J. Uzama and Tyler Conklin where he can develop a little bit as a pass, as a receiver, even though he showed flashes at Ohio State that he can do it, and day one he'll stick his face in the fan as a run blocker? Yeah, we, you know, we talked before how, you know, we love what they did at tight end in free agency, uh, you know, with Conklin and Uzama and, and kind of rebuilding that that tight end room uh, with those guys that they brought in. And then you drop a Jeremy Ruckert in there as well, who can learn from those guys, who is a, a do-everything all-around tight end, can block, can run routes, can catch the football. Uh, I love the fit. I mean, Ruckert was a guy that, you know, going into the process, I thought he's going somewhere top 75. You know, he's that good of a player. Uh, even though the production maybe doesn't jump off the page. And then, you know, he has the foot injury. So no combine, no pro day, no workout. And so I dropped him just a little bit. He was, I think, number 85 for me. Um, and, and the Jets were able to get him uh, a little bit later than that. So I, I love the value with Jeremy Ruckert. And, and I love the player. I mean, the Long Island native. Uh, it's funny. I uh, tweeted back in, in January. I looked it up. It's January 15th how I love the fit of Jeremy Ruckert in that Jet scheme. And his dad, Jeremy's dad, actually responded to that tweet at the time with a uh, picture of young Jeremy Ruckert with a Jets tattoo on his cheek. And I thought, oh, yeah, I mean, it, it's perfect. You know, the Long Island native stays close to home. And, it, you know, it t- turns out it came to fruition. So uh, Jeremy Ruckert, I love the fit. I love what he adds to that room. And then, you know, towards the end of his rookie contract, year three, how are we talking about Jeremy Rucker? I think it's there's a lot of optimism about what he could be and possibly an eventual starter. I love it. Came to fruition for for you, huh? You really. I remember last year our mock draft. You had Michael Carter, the running back, in the fourth round. Now, now you're kicking it up. You you went to January fifteenth talking about a potential fit for the Jets and it ended up coming to fruition. What do you think about that? Two for two, sometimes, a little bit. Some, hey, sometimes you get lucky, you know. You throw enough darts, uh, <laughs> eventually you're going to hit one, right? So, yeah, no, yeah, I just, yeah. the, the fit made too much sense uh, from the start. Just not only the the geographical uh, ties, but uh, just with what the Jets were looking for. And you know, after they made those two signings in free agency, you wondered, well, maybe they wait until uh, the fourth, fifth round, or if they draft a tight end at all. But I think the Rucker at that point in the third round, just too much value. They couldn't pass on him. All right, how about day three? The Jets have two picks. Max Mitchell, tackle out of Louisiana, is the first one. What does he bring to the table that maybe the Jets don't have right now? And and I know that day three, you're talking about traits. You're talking about developmental traits. What does he bring that you see what the Jets saw? With a player like Max Mitchell, you have to trust the tape because it was surprising at the the combine. He did not test like I expected or a lot of scouts expected. Um, You know, the the 40 time wasn't great. Uh, Three time cone was uh, three cone time was not great. The the jumps, the vertical. So but when you watch the tape, you see a guy that uh, really loves to mix things up with his hands, uh, moves pretty well. um, and, And you love that he has experience across the across the offensive line. 
Start, he was primarily a right tackle at Louisiana, but also played left tackle, played a little bit of guard. Um, and this is a player that should have redshirted, uh, but he didn't. They needed him right on the field immediately. Uh, and, I mean, he was basically a starter when he showed up. So um, a guy that's still learning, still developing. But at that point in the fourth round, uh, I, I really like that uh, that investment. Uh, it's you know low risk, but there is some reward possible with a player like Mitchell who – has understanding with his hand, what to do with his hands, and then also, you know, moves pretty well despite what the testing numbers say. You know, for a guy like this, Dane, coming from a smaller school like Louisiana, the Jets have their starting tackles in place, no doubt. If he were to be like the Jets swing tackle year one, is that a little ambitious of a thought and you'd like to see some development? Or you think that if for whatever reason his number were called as a rookie to fill in at one of those spots, he could do it at a reasonably efficient rate? I don't think that he's necessarily NFL ready. Um, I, I think that if you throw him out there, uh, there will be some speed bumps. There's no doubt about it. And, um, you know, it's it's something you have to be prepared for if he's on the field. But at, with that said, I, I do think that uh, he, he can hold his own because – he moves, not only does he move well, but I think he has a really strong understanding of timing and, you know, where his hands need to be. And that's especially important. Uh, but, when, you know, when they're not, if he's just a tick off, he can be jostled at contact. Uh, you don't, you know, the, the base uh, strength, the, the core strength, I don't think is quite where it needs to be. He needs a little bit of time developing uh, in the weight room, uh, you know, there uh, with the Jets coaches. So if he's out there, uh, you know, at, at, at any point this rookie season, I would expect some speed bumps. But, you know, that's sometimes that's the best time uh, you learn is when you're on the job like that. Uh, if that is definitely the case, especially when you think about the Jets rookie class last year, even the day three guys thrown to the fire immediately, definitely progressed as the season went on for a guy like Max Mitchell. Before we wrap up with Michael Clemens, is that what you'd like to see in a couple of years, though, in terms of a swing tackle? Or you think he has a potential to even be a little more than that? No, I, swing tackle is exactly it. That, that's that's kind of where I graded him as a early day three developmental swing tackle, a guy that uh, you know is uh, can really grow into being a steady pass blocker, can get the job done as a zone run blocker. So I, again, I think the fit is exactly what this team is looking for on their offensive line. It's just he might not be, you know, in ready-made packaging. He might need a little bit of time, uh, you know, in the crock pot just to, just to finish him a little bit. All right, Michael Clemens, this is the Jets' final draft pick, pick number 117, Texas A&M. The story's great. He's a very quiet, reserved guy, at least so it seems when you watch him interview. But on the field, something definitely switches for him, and he plays with a little bit of violence as you can see. So what is it about Michael Clemens that if you're the Jets, that excites you about him as a prospect? Yeah, I mean, throw in the LSU tape from last year. Uh, if you want to get excited about Michael Clemens, um, his ability to you because he's, he's so long as a player, almost 35 inch arms, um, and he's so powerful at contact. His hands are so, so heavy. His ability to attack blockers, and then work off of that, whether he wants to go through the blocker or you know, use a little bit of that quickness to uh, you know work him off balance and then get around him to the quarterback, he can do that. Um, you know, he's not a uh, necessarily a, a twitchy pass rusher, but he does have some explosiveness in his lower body. And when he uses that forward lean where he can just go forward towards the blocker and get him off kilter, 
that's where he's at his best. So um, the speed to power is really impressive. Uh, he's an older player. You know, there, there's some stuff in his background that you know you, you weren't sure how teams were going to to handle it. Uh, but on the field, it's not hard to really like this player, and it's because he already owns NFL physical traits. He, he looks the part when he goes into that uh, Jets locker room. Uh, I, I think it, uh, his teammates will kind of look at him and say, oh, when, when, when we sign you? I mean, I don't think they'll realize this is a rookie uh, we're talking about here. He is physically ready for the NFL. That, that is amazing. I, I definitely got that sense even just when you, you look at him sitting down, even when you look on, on YouTube, if you just pop on any kind of highlights of Michael Clemens. But the last thing I want to ask you in terms of Michael Clemens, if the – if your hope for Max Mitchell is to become a swing tackle in a couple of years, what is your hope for Michael Clemens in a couple of years? And what do you hope for him as a rookie? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, he, he's gonna be part of the rotation from, from the get go. Um, as long as he can handle the playbook, uh, and, and he's going to be out there and making, you know, being part of a rotation. If he can play the run, he can give you a little bit of juice, uh, rushing the passer. And I, I think he, he has that uh, size where kick him inside. Uh, you know, he's not a, you know, you have to put him in a certain spot, use him inside, outside. Uh, and I think you know, when you look at the Jets defensive line, they've got versatility uh, up front with, with the current roster and the guys they've added. So I'm excited. You drop a Clemens in there. Uh, I, I think you got another guy that has that versatility that uh, could be really a strong part of your rotation. All right. Last question here is the following. Every team right now in the NFL feels good about their draft. You would imagine because you just mm -hmm. added players that you like, you feel like you got a little bit better with that being said, what is it about this jets draft that you would really hang your hat on and say, this is the reason why I think the New York jets are a better team today than yesterday. And the players that they drafted will be good pros and help turn the corner for this franchise. Well, it starts with them drafting three of their top eight players. I mean, that's there, there's there's no way, no, no point in getting cute with that, with my answer. I mean, it's as simple as that. Uh, you know, they got three really good players in the first round. They come back with two really good offensive players in the uh, second and uh, day two, and then they add two fourth rounders, guys that uh, you know can be part of the long term plans. And so, if I'm Zach Wilson, I'm watching the draft unfold. I'm seeing who we added. I'm getting excited, and I'm I'm looking at this and saying, okay. They're surrounding me with really good players, uh, and now it's up to me to go make things happen. Um, so if I'm a Jets fan, I'm ecstatic about what would happen. Uh, you know, this is why you add, if you're able to, this is why you add the draft capital. It gives you options. You want to trade back up into the first round to get a Jermaine Johnson? You could do that. Uh, if you want to move around a little bit and, and you know make sure that you're getting your guys, the guys that you graded high for your scheme and your culture and what you're building, you have the flexibility to go do that. And that's what... Uh, we've seen with Joe Douglas uh, and this coaching staff and the draft picks they have had. They have been aggressive, but at the same time, you can, you know, you understand the plan. You know, it's not, they're just not throwing darts out there. Uh, I mean, they, you understand that there's a plan in place. And if, if I'm a Jets fan, that makes me excited. That is the perfect way to end the review episode of NFL Draft Preview. That puts a period, Dane, at the end of the 2022 NFL Draft. As always, it's been a pleasure. And, you know, next year, maybe the Jets don't have two first-round picks as it stands, but you never know what's going to happen. So it's been a pleasure, and we'll talk to you next season. Can't wait. Thanks, Ethan.